Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. This episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast is brought to you by Stock Market Hats. Stock Market Hats claim to be stylish and funny. Frankly, I wasn't that amused by some of them, but maybe you will be. And it's not just hats either, but they have t-shirts, sports bras, socks, and even pet ID tags. It's worth checking out, and right now you can take advantage of a 10% discount on all merchandise. Go to stockmarkethats.com and enter the code CONTRARIAN before you check out and take advantage of this special offer. There is a referral link I will put in the show notes as well. Stock Market Hats, claiming to be stylish and funny. Here with Todd Sullivan, the individual behind valueplays.com. Todd, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor podcast today. And I wanted to have you on because of a couple of views that you have here, but let's talk about oil. And this is something that has run up quite a bit in price over the last year. Oil prices have almost doubled. And this has led many people to say that the end of the commodity cycle is close at hand, and that as interest rates start to rise, especially oil and other commodities will start to decline in price. This would indeed be pretty consistent with what usually happens, but you have a different view here, if I may call it a contrarian view, and that's why I wanted to have you on to discuss this. So give me your outlook for oil and why you are still bullish. Yeah, so when oil was you know down to $30, $40 range, we we turned bullish on it last year. I, I've been bullish on oil for quite some time, but came really bull, bullish on it last year. Uh, after Biden won the election, we became extremely bullish on it. And after his actions in early January this year, immediately after being inaugurated, we became extremely bullish on it. And that's been borne out over the last uh, seven, eight months. And what Biden yeah. did was he... You know, he banned all permitting on federal lands. And basically with the, the Democrats in power now and with the changes at FERC, which is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, any and all large scale pipeline projects have been essentially canceled. Hmm. Um, there was no there was just another one, another thousand mile uh, pipeline expansion that was supposed to go in the East Coast uh, that was just canceled a few days ago. Um there are no low, large scale pipeline projects in the works anymore. Like the Keystone pipeline, they, th- those, those projects are dead um, and there are no more in planning. And the, 
pipeline cycle is many years, right? You don't you don't decide you want to build a, a pipeline and have it built in six or eight months. It's a two to three year process. By the time you permitting, get all the regulatory approvals, especially if you're going state to state. So with with those actions by Biden, I looked at energy and I looked at natural gas and I looked at oil and I said, there's nowhere for it to go but up. You have increasing end user demand. You know, yes, it's going to fluctuate slightly year to year and month to month, but the overall trend in energy is higher. Right? It's been higher for decades. It's going to continue higher. Uh, there's not enough alternative uses uh, for you know for for uh, to to make electricity out there uh, that are viable on any kind of scale uh, with oil and gas. Hmm. Uh, so you had a situation where you have the supply is going to be constricted or the supply growth is going to be constricted because of the federal uh, drilling ban, which, you know, some of the largest reservoirs of oil in the U.S. are on federal lands. Um, you have no new transportation to get it from A to B because we're, we're restricting pipeline building and pipeline uh, pipeline growth, uh, which, again, has slowed again this year. The two years, the slowest growth in pipeline history for the last two years. So you have, you have struggling demand. I'm, I'm sorry, struggling supply. You have constricted transportation because some of these pipelines, like the Appalachian Pipeline Network right now, is running 90, 95% plus capacity. Within two years, they will not have enough capacity to ship the gas out or in that's needed for that area. Hmm. There's no other prices to go but up. Yeah. Um, and that's that's how I looked at it. So, you know, I think a lot of times people get too far in the weeds with energy. It really is just a pretty simple equation. Hmm. Um, and over the years, we've had a lot of, we've been very beneficial with our oil timing, you know, we were in oil in a large way, uh, running up to the 0809 recession, stayed out of it for a number of years, got back in it in 2019 in a pretty big way in the pipeline companies and buying TPL. Um, and uh, just just by using that equation, not going too deep in the weeds. So and I, I, I see this happening. I mean, Biden's not going to change course in the next two and a half years while he's in office right? mm -hmm. or three and a half years while he's still in office. So what that tells me is over the next three years, there's going to be no new large scale pipeline projects. There's going to be no large increases in drilling because we can't drill on federal lands. If the next incoming president reverses that, you're still talking another year to two before the infrastructure is in place to, to rejump those projects. So for the next yeah. five years, you're looking at this same scenario. Increasing end demand, constricted supply, strangled transportation networks. What about uh, the international oil producers? Uh, we still import some from Saudi Arabia and Russia and elsewhere, don't we? We do. We, we have been a next net exporter, especially right. in natural gas. And we were we did flip to a next net exporter of oil right. uh, last year. Yeah. Um, that's obviously changed now because so much was shut in in uh, in Texas and in, during the um, uh, during COVID, mm -hmm. a lot of our drilling capacity was shut in. So we are importing some oil now. Um, I think we're going to import even more uh, because of the the ban on federal drilling, especially you know you know maybe not this year or next, but you know any decision in oil has effects for three to five years, right? So you know you're talking two or three years from now. Um, I think you're going to see that that increase even more. And now we're back in the hands of OPEC, which has all the geopolitical implications mm. we really don't care too much about. Yeah, right, right. All right, well, there is one issue here that that I, I suspect could upend the bull case for oil, which is the demand picture that you talk about. Mm -hmm. And what if demand does drop off? I mean, and 
if we do have a recession, you know, in the next year or two, and the U.S. is the biggest consumer, well, huh, that's just the U.S. Let's not forget about China, by the way, um, yeah. which is faced with a very potentially a very real slowdown now. Um, yeah. What do you make of that? And for the, that would hurt the bull case for oil. So I read a statistic, I think it was in Bloomberg yesterday, the amount of coal and oil that China needs just to maintain its current growth. But we're not even talking to get ahead of the game. And we know China has rolling blackouts going on right now. They have some mm. severe energy problems in Europe right now. This is not just a U.S.-centric thing. When, when the world shut down because of COVID, the world shut down. And drilling and oil and expansion, a lot of these, especially Europe, stopped. Uh, Russia is no anxious, no, is not anxious at all right now uh, to supply additional gas uh, to Eastern Europe. They're happy watching the price go through the roof. China is the largest consumer. They're going to need a lot more. Even if we do see a recession in the U.S., I, I, you know, again, it depends on your time frame. I'm not a trader. I'm looking at oil. When I bought into oil, I was looking at oil for the next three to five years. So I do expect there will be some periods where, you know, economic growth slows for three or four months and people tend to overreact, which is what they do. Oil sells off. That's fine. I don't see a scenario where uh, we have any sort of large scale global slowdown. Um, I don't think we revisit the lockdowns. I think that was too expensive for too many nations. I don't think people would listen at this point, to be honest with you, right? If people are raising hell about wearing a mask and getting vaccinated. I don't see people voluntarily just staying in their houses anymore. People are done with that stuff. So uh, I I think demand continues to creep higher, even if we do see global demand continues to creep higher, even if we do see a slight solar in the US. And what if there's a recession in China though? I mean, that's not out of the possibility. It's not, but the Chinese government, I don't know, for the last, what, 20 years has managed to do what they have to do to avoid that. And, you Mm -hmm. know, they can spend the money they want to spend or create the money they want to create to help avoid some of those things. But, you know, China's had its, its ups and downs, but they've, they've managed to stay away from it. And, and part of the reason is they're just, they're where the U.S. was 60 years ago, right? Yeah. They're this agricultural, agricultural um, nation turning into a, a manufacturing nation, massively growing middle class as part of the maturation of any nation. Um, so they have a lot of underlying trends that are very positive for continued growth, whether the world economy is growing at three or 4% or 1%. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I think they avoid it, or if they do, it's very, very short lived and very mm-hmm. shallow. Everyone wants to predict enough. a China crash, but we predict, we've been predicting a China crash for 20 years and it hasn't. Yeah. Happened. That crypto and Tesla are the ones that people are been predicting for a long time. They just haven't yeah. quite uh, gone along. Yeah. All right. Uh, Todd Sullivan, you mentioned um, Texas Pacific Land Trust there as one of your uh, holdings. You mentioned it very briefly. I want to come back and ask you about some of your other favorite stocks in this sector and about yourself to get to know you a little better. But let's first take a short break. If you are a premium subscriber, don't touch the dial. You will not get the break. And if you want to become a premium subscriber, go to the website contrarianpod.com substack.com and sign up. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. 
They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech. This episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast brought to you by Stock Market Hats. Stock Market Hats claim to be stylish and funny. Some of them say things like, end the Fed, don't tax the rich, I heart the Fed, Dr. Parikh Patel, not back office. Okay, that one is actually kind of funny. Market cap cap, that's also pretty funny. And some other ones. You may know their Twitter, at Stock Market Hats. But check it out, stockmarkethats.com, and enter contrarian at checkout to take advantage of a 10% discount. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm here with Todd Sullivan of valueplays.com. Todd, this is the segment of the show where we ask our guests a little bit more about themselves, how they came to their current station in life. I actually don't even know where you're located. I'm um, in Massachusetts, about oh, 30 miles outside of Boston. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm in Connecticut, not far away. Oh, there you go. But tell us about how, how you started with your, your career and how it led you to where you are now. Yeah. So I've always been an investor and entrepreneur since early, early ages. And in 2007, uh, I was reading a website that was pretty brand new at the time called Seeking Alpha. Hmm. Uh, and I was reading some things on there, some stocks I didn't like. So I whipped off an email to David Jackson, who at the time was the founder and the editor. I don't, I don't know if he still has a role there anymore, but he's still uh, he the was, founder. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. But I don't, I don't know if he has a functional role there, but he was a hell of a nice guy. He does uh, sent in the email and he said, do you mind if I publish this? So I'm like, no, eh, sure. Go ahead. You know, what going to do. So I sent him another one and he, and he said, you know, can I publish this too? I said, yeah, go ahead. He goes, why don't you just give me your blog address so we can just take it from your blog each week and put you on there. I said, great, no problem at all. I'm happy to do that. I'll send it over to you. So I hung up the phone and I Googled what's a blog. I had no idea at the time, right? This, this is 14 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I, the old blogger, the Google blogger yeah. platform came up. So I signed up and it was easy enough to make a rudimentary site by yourself. And I just started, di- I, I had always diaried my trades and diaried my investment theses over the years. And now I just started doing it online. And God, within a month or two, uh, I got picked up by James Altucher, did a blog thing, and I picked up there. And then David Geffen at the Journal picked me up in Blogwatch. And that was when all the major publications were, they didn't have any bloggers yet, right? They still made fun of them, but they all had these sections where they followed them. Yeah, uh, it was yeah. about a year and a half later that they all started being bloggers themselves. I guess mm-hmm. we all moved out of our mother's basement at that time, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> all at once. I, the whole industry became legitimized. Yeah. Um, so I started writing and they started picking me up. And then, you know, I made it on CNBC a couple of times, Fox Business News. And then the big break really came. I found this company called General Growth Properties in 2009. Uh, it was a class A mall, mall headed for bankruptcy. The stock had gone from like 50 bucks to 70 cents. And um, I looked at it and the more I read into it, I was like, there's equity value here. I mean, the, long story short, they had non-recourse debt. They had $30 billion in debt. The assets had been written down. So everyone said bankruptcy, debt's more than liabilities. The stock's worthless. I looked, I said, no, this is non-recourse debt. Meaning Hmm. you only take that building. You can't attach any other buildings, which means what? The banks had to refinance these debts because if the member was marked to market accounting, if general growth property, even the largest class A mall offers marked down its class A portfolio, 30%, 
Every other company had to do it also. And then the banks would have had to have written down their whole commercial real estate portfolios, 30, 40%. We're talking hundreds of billions of losses at the bank. So the, it's kind of like the old thing. If you old book you hundred bucks, you got a problem. You own mm. 10,000, the bookies got a problem. That's what the banks were in. Long story short, banks refine. They, I said, I wrote a post of these banks have to, de- these general growth has to declare chapter 11 to force the banks to refinance. They eventually huh. did it. The banks refinanced. The stock was at 25 cents at one point, ended up going to 25 bucks. They spun up Howard Hughes that went from 35 to a hundred some dollars. It was, it was like a 44,000% return in about a nine month period. Um, Bill Ackman was also in the same trade and had been reading my stuff. I got invited to speak at Bill Ackman's Harvard Investment Conference a couple of times. They had the number one pick that year. So things just kind of, it really just took on a life of its own. And all I was doing was diarying these trades like I always did. So it huh. just, I think it was a combination of, you know, fortuitous timing, getting into blogging. I mean, I think I was a seeking alpha gold contributor. I think I was like the 21st one. Hmm. That's how long ago this, I think just like two or 3000 now. So it was just, yeah. that was, a, you know, it hit a bunch of concurrent events at the right time and just kind of rode that wave. And you know, I got involved with stock twits and Howard over there and, you know, they were fantastic. They switched me to the paid model. So I mean, a lot of, a lot of loyalty and a lot of thanks for stock Twitch and the group over there. Cause I never thought about having a paid blog. Uh, it was their idea and it's been, it's been wow. absolutely fantastic. So. Huh. But you, uh, but before you got into blogging, you, you, I mean, you're not just a blogger. You were, you were ahead of career on wall street too, right? No, no. Oh, really? Oh, no, wow. No, no. I, I, I ran a small hedge fund after I started the blog. Oh, that was later. Okay. Yeah, that was later. But before that, I was a pure entrepreneur and investor, various businesses I was in. Um, but like I said, I always diaried my trade. So when, huh. I, when when Seeking Alpha suggested doing a blog, I just, yeah, this makes it easier, actually, because now it's all online. I don't have to keep these stupid notebooks laying around. Huh. And uh, That's you know, amazing. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's. I think the lesson there is, you know, when someone suggests opportunities, you got to at least give it a shot because you never know no where kidding. it's going to lead. It's been an incredible yeah, yeah. journey. Yeah, and there are still a lot of opportunities for people to do these things, like with Substack Absolutely. and all these other things. Yeah, um, it's. A, I would say it's more yeah. so now than then. You know. Oh, sure. A lot of, yeah, yeah. A lot of groups that are really helping people out do it. We were mm-hmm. kind of fumbling around on our own out there, but kind of yeah, spot. yeah. And it was a real pain to get all those things together. The, the yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, all right, that's that's amazing. So let's. All right, so now let's talk about your 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 current book and, and your current, I guess, longs and and on the yeah. Yeah, so go for it. the the. So the energy names I really like, and um, I'm really into these names <laughs> because uh, we should first they, I'm probably disclose this, even though this is everywhere that this is not investment advice. But go ahead, go ahead. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't this know if that even does anything, by the way, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so the names that I'm invested in the energy space right now, there, there's three big ones that I really like. And the first are Kinder Morgan and Williams. These are the right. transportation companies. And the reason I like these, it goes back to before, right? There are no low, large-scale pipeline operations in the U.S. And if you take Williams and Kinder Morgan and put their networks together, you touch about 70% of the gas in the U.S. in one way or another, whether from transportation gathering, processing, whatever. You also have the two dominant pipelines from the Houston Ship Channel to the Northeast United States. Roughly 60% of the U.S. population 
These two are serving everything. The fastest growing part of the population is the Southeast US, Kinder Morgan, Williams, the dominant pipeline companies there. So that's why I like them. Put aside the fact that last March when COVID hit and the stock market tanked, you could have locked in 10 to 15% yields in these things. Uh, even today, they're still paying 5 6% dividend yeah. yields that are growing 10, 15% a year. So, you know, I look at it this way as like, you know, you have a, you know, Massachusetts, we have the Massachusetts Turnpike. That's the only toll road in the state. And it goes from Buffalo, New York to Boston, Mass, right? It's good. It goes right from the Mass Turnpike to New York State Thruway. Every day, there's more and more cars on that road, but that still is the main road to get there. And they're not building another one anytime soon. That's how they're the pipeline companies, right? They're just maintaining mm -hmm. these pipes right now. The, they went from a period of, you know, they um, their balance sheets were over leveraged. They spent the last three, four years deleveraging these balance sheets. They have their debt to EBITDA exactly where they want them. They're self-financing operations. They don't need any debt to operate anymore. And they're throwing off huge cash. Williams just announced a large buyback of, I think, a billion and a half dollars. Kinder Morgan's in the middle of a $500 million buyback that, Honestly, I think it's ridiculously too low, and I hope that they fix that when this one's gone and they add another billion to two to it. But I think if you look, if you flash forward three to five years, you'll be in these stocks. You'll have you'll have good price appreciation, but better still, you're probably going to be getting on a, on a cash invested. This is the way I look at my dividends. You're probably going to be getting seven to eight percent yield annually in dividends on your cash invested, if not higher. Uh, given the cash we're throwing off right now, and the buybacks and the, and the dividend increases that you're doing. So I love those two companies. I've invested in the drillers in the past. And honestly, I just haven't done well. It's, you know, and it's an investing lesson. You know, you keep investing in the same space a certain way and you keep getting your face handed to you. You just realize you're not that good at it. So stop doing it. Find another way to be in the space. So I love the pipeline companies. Um, another company that I really love is Texas Pacific Land Trust. And the way I look at them, and I, uh, I did a presentation on Stockwitz for them a couple of years ago, right before, it was the fall before COVID, so it would have been 2019. And uh, the stock was around three, 400 bucks a share at the time. And basically the, the, the title of the presentation was Oil's Landlord. Oil's they are one. the largest, Oil's Landlord. Mm. They are the largest private landowner in the Permian Basin which is the largest oil deposit in the United States, actually the Eastern Hemisphere, you could argue. Um, they basically own it. So if you wanna drill for oil, you wanna frack for oil, you wanna transport oil, you wanna transport natural gas or drill for natural gas in the Permian Basin, chances are you are paying Texas Pacific Land Trust for that right. Their land just got more valuable because when Biden enacted the federal drilling ban, there's something called the Delaware Basin in the Permian in the Permian Basin is called the, the Delaware Formation, okay? That's where the oil is. About a third of that is in New Mexico on federal lands, which you can no longer apply for permits to drill on. Which And who has all the land surrounding New Mexico? Texas Pacific Land Trust. So any of those drillers that were planning on drilling in Mexico now have to come into Texas, drill in the Permian in the Delaware Basin where Texas Pacific Land Trust basically owns it. Hmm. So they have, you know, they're, they're, they're starting a water division because, you know, fracking water intensive. That part of Texas doesn't have a lot of water. So they're, they're doing um, water processing for fracking. Uh, they're sourcing water for fracking companies. It's a good little operation hmm. for years. And I called them Texas Pacific Land Trust because that's what they were called. They were a trust um, and they weren't any major exchanges. Mutual funds couldn't own them because they weren't, you know, a C Corp, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they did a conversion that was finalized earlier this year 
which they converted to a C corp. That's when you saw that big price spike. All the funds can buy them now. All the ETFs can buy them. Murray Stahl at Horizon is the majority shareholder. I think he owns about a third of the company, and they literally buy shares every single day. They'll pick up 10, 15, 20 shares every single day. They're in the market. They're buying shares left and right. I think if Murray could just slowly buy the whole thing, he would buy the whole thing and operate it. That's how much confidence he has in it. He's also a big Bitcoin investor for the Bitcoin people out there. Mm. So I love it. Just for me, Texas, you know, they like, they, they, you know, they do a special dividend once a year. It's about 1%, maybe 2%. Yeah. You're not buying this thing for the dividend. In the past, they've had a very good stock buyback program. Um, that got disrupted during the, during COVID and during the transformation from a trust to a C-Corp. But I do expect them to stop buying back shares in the future at pretty decent size. You know, Murray Trust is from the Warren Buffett School. Buy a big stake, get them to buy back the stock. You increase your stake organically just from the buybacks without buying that much more. So I, I do anticipate for the buybacks from all three of those companies mm. uh, in the next year to three years, significant buybacks. That's, that's where I really like those. Very interesting. Yeah, TPL has done better. They've all done well, but TPL has done better. It's up 174% over the past yeah. year, where the others are, quote, only up about 30%. And the dividends, yeah, the, the other two pay a 6% dividend, yeah. which obviously doesn't include the buybacks. So Yeah, and they're, and they're, and they're growing those 10 to 15% yeah. a year. So that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Why, yeah. why aren't these being bought more then? Is it just skittishness around the growth picture or uh, it's energy? It's energy, right? Yeah. People have not liked the energy sector. People right. are under the illusion. I think that uh, natural gas or oil are going away in the next decade hmm. and nothing could be further from the truth. You hmm. know what China alone needs to maintain its current growth trajectory for energy in the next five years eliminates any scenario that oil and gas are going away. I mean, maybe in the U.S. they shrink. So oh, fine. So we're just going to export it to China. Big deal. There still is an end market and demand is still going to grow from it. There's a lot of emerging nations in the world who are going to be using coal, oil and natural gas as our primary energy source for decades to come. So there's that, you know, the whole energy sector has been kind of hurt, too. And it, it's really funny. Like I hear people talk about electric vehicles, electric vehicles, electric vehicles. Do you know what the number one electricity generation source of the U.S. is? Yeah. It's natural right. gas. Yeah. Right. So, great. Give me all your EVs. That's great. They're going to need natural gas to run on. So, that increases my demand for my natural gas. It hurts oil because we're not making gasoline out of the oil in its greatest quantities. But, again, the number of gas-fired cars on the road, it's not falling. It's yeah. still growing. So, demand's still going to grow. Yeah, it's one of those. Again, I'm a value investor, right? So it's Mm -hmm. one of those short-term dislocations you find that you take advantage of. Yeah, although it's been a little more short-term. I mean, this has been unpopular for a couple of years. I mean, several years going back to the crash, the oil crash was it 2014? I mean, things got pretty cheap. So just out of curiosity, why don't you like the drillers? I do love the drillers. I just can't, as a value investor. Right. Part of it's my makeup. I'm looking at these. I'm, when you know I'm a value, but I'm looking at either a short term dislocation of the market. I'm looking for a troubled company that's got issues where the stock doesn't reflect the likelihood of a turnaround or the stock doesn't accurately reflect or if they're in the midst of a turnaround, doesn't actually reflect the progress that they've made. So there's this there's this dislocation between reality and price. And I've invested in three drillers um, that were in deep trouble. Uh, had some success coming out of it and probably should have exited the trade then, stayed in wanting for more, and then they all just turned south. So for me, 
I clearly don't have um, an ability to accurately judge these companies' performance, their asset base, their outlook, their prospects, whatever the deal is. I've been very, very successful investing in oil and gas over the years. So it says to me, hey, in this sector, you're a macro guy. So invest, invest in the macro themes in energy, not to specific companies. And we've done really well with it. But, you know, you got to know what you know and what you don't know. You know, the smartest people in the world to me are the people looking at you and say, you know what, I don't know. Because hmm. that means they're trying to continually learn more, right? Because they don't know. And people who know everything don't know anything. It's just yeah. that's the way it is. So now there's certain certain industries like financials and and cannabis and other things where I'm very, very good at picking specific companies at specific times that will do well. Energy is just not that space for me. So I stay away from the individual names from now on and I just get involved in the macro trends. Hmm. What about trading the commodities themselves or I guess the futures? No, I don't do futures. Yeah. I've done some of the ETFs and oil prices and things right. like that. I've done very good with oil. I've done some, I've actually done some of the triple leverage ETFs when I was mm. really convinced and, or shorted some of those at the right times. And I, I, you know, I've, you know, on my website, every, every trade I've ever made is tracked on the website. So it's right there going back to 09 for people to look at. So it's right there. And usually every, I would say every two to three years, we'd have a pretty decent oil trade on one way or the other. And it's, they've all worked out so far on the macro level and the stock specific level for the, and it's only been the drillers. Oh, they, uh, it's, you know, it was Chesapeake, Breitburn, both didn't work out and didn't work out in a really piss poor way. So I just. So, uh -huh. you know. so is it that the transport, the transporters are the more of a pure play on, on oil than the drillers? I would think it'd be the other way around. Or does it? I think, I think the, I think we have a ton of drillers out there, right? I think we have three major pipeline companies. Okay. Okay. Um, that have to handle everything. Right. right so right, right. they the, the, the tailwind for those companies is, is across the industry. Uh -huh. The drillers, you know, you could have 100 drillers, 50 are going to make it, 50 won't, 25 will do, 10 will do great. Yeah. The rest will do sort of mediocre. So for me, it's just a question of, you know, how does gas and oil get from A to B the cheapest? We can, we can ship it on trains, but no one wants to do it because it's expensive mm. as hell. Mm. The, the flip side for natural gas, what I'm seeing now, I'm seeing natural gas trucks on the highway. Literally, like having roaming bombs on our highways, right? That's yeah, just that's a stupid dangerous, idea. It? Yeah, it's a stupid idea. And every year, there's a train accident that spill, you know, that blows up ten thousand gallons of oil or ten thousand barrels of mm -hmm. oil, right? So, pipelines are the safest, most efficient, cheapest way to transport energy, feedstocks, and we're not building anymore. Mm -hmm. And we have more being produced and more being needed. So, there's the those guys are going to start getting more money for the space on those pipelines. Makes sense. There's no capex uh, involvement here. Like, there's a situation here where they have to, you know, in, expand the pipelines or replace things. There's a lot of well, there's a lot of capex involved in maintenance. Yeah, um, they're covering that capex no problem at all. I mean, sure. I think Kinder Morgan is going to do roughly five billion in cash flow. I think capex is like a million four. Okay. Um, then they have some debt maintenance and things like that. Um, but as far as expansion, that's why they're returning capital. They really can't. The only way for them to expand right now, there are there's little feeder pipelines out of cloth, you have a big trunk, then you'll do like a 20 or 30 mile feeder to another field or to another production facility. But the, the days of the multi-state three or 4,000 mile long pipelines, they're over for the next five years. I mean, uh, Kinder Morgan was trying to supply New York City, the Constellation pipeline, oh. I think it was a 400 mile pipeline in New York City. They canceled it. Yeah. So New York City now 
is running out of natural gas for new homes. They have to use electricity now. But using electricity to heat your home is the single most inefficient form of, gas, of heating for the house. But that's what they have to install now, right? So people are saying, oh, no natural gas in the house. Natural gas demand is going to fall. Well, no, because they're just shipping the gas to the Edison right. station in Long Island, and they're making electricity with it. Right. It's, right. it's the same yeah, thing. I know, I know. It's I know. People think electricity somehow means you don't produce, you don't need oil yeah. or, or yeah. Like they see fuels, wind turbine. Yeah. I think that 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 one wind turbine supplies ten thousand homes. No, it doesn't. But Kinder, but they have international operations too, don't they? KMI and Williams. Well, KMI used to uh-huh. in Canada, uh, but they sold that. Uh, oh, KMI wow. International was. They that. sold okay. that when they sold the the Canadian Transco pipeline that was going across Canada, which was. Years in court, which is another massive headache. And Canada's worse than we are when it comes to yeah. that stuff. Um, so they basically sold it, uh, to, I think, to TransCanada and let them deal with it. Took a few billion dollars, paid off some debt, and, and, and fixed up the balance sheet. And Williams is just in the U.S. also. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Williams has their Transco pipeline. It goes from the Gulf of Mexico to Maine. It is the largest pipeline in the U.S., carries the most gas of any pipeline in the U.S., and the volumes are growing high single digits every year. Hmm. And wow. that is the only pipeline of its size in the entire Eastern United States. Hmm. Wow. So I guess I know what I was going to ask. I guess you aren't all that uh, keen on all the alternative, uh, you know, energy sources like solar and turbines and, and um, I mean, I think like they that. have a place. I don't think that, you know, it, it's for me, it's math, mm-hmm. right? If you wanted, if you wanted to switch the U S to wind power, right? I saw this study a couple of years ago. You, the, the number one wind tunnel in the U.S. goes up from Texas up through Arkansas, the, you know, the, the farm belt, right? You'd basically have to plow under the farm belt, populated with wind turbines to supply the United States with wind energy. Okay, that's great. Then we just don't eat, right? I mean, there are places- <laughs> Oh, we import our food. <laughs> so, yeah. Right, right, right. Or we're buying food from other places. So, yeah. I mean, there are places for it. I think solar has a place. Um, I think, you know, solar solar panels on top of buildings can help lower consumption there. I think when wind turbines can help pick up. I mean, we had problems with wind turbines in the Texas freeze this winter. Um, you know, I, I'm from upstate New York originally. They, they, have, they have problems in the winters with the wind turbines in upstate New York, whether it be icing or frozen motors. I mean, it gets below zero up there. Um, hmm. So there are issues with it. It's not 100% reliable. And, you know, if you're in Seattle... You're not running solar power. No, you aren't. Yeah. Right. So at the end of the day, it comes down to scale, right? We yeah. have an energy infrastructure that's scaled for global energy use. Alternative energy sources are, I look at them more as local based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, this apartment complex, we put solar panels on the roof. We lower our energy use 30%. Okay, great. Hmm. You know. Cool. Very interesting, very interesting conversation. Now, tell me about your site, valueplays.com. Um, is that the outgrowth of your old blogger thing? or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did start it in 2007. I think it was, God, I want to say late 2009, 2010. We switched to a page slash free model. Um, I've been running it that way ever since. Uh, These monthly, quarterly, annual subscriptions. What subscribers get is you know access to me, email access to me. Uh, we like to do podcasts on there. I have a portfolio that I've tracked since 09. Um, I think we've had four down years since 09. And every trade is every trade's in there. So if we've made a trade, it's it's linked in there. So if I was to go back and they can see that, see what we've done, see how we've done. 
Nice. And basically, it's just a running commentary of stocks that I'm looking at, stocks that I'm buying, um, areas I might be interested in, might not be. You know, I don't, I don't do a, like I don't. Um, I'm not one of those masters of every stock, so I don't write about every stock that's out there. Any whatever stocks in the news today, I'm not out there commenting on it unless it has something to do with something I own or something I'm investing in, that kind of thing. And there's, uh, I have a. I have a uh, associate uh, who goes by the name Davidson. He has to remain anonymous because of his position. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's been a contributor there for years. And he called the bottom in 09. In, in middle of March 09, he's like, I'm mm-hmm. all in, leveraging everything. This is the absolute bottom. I think nice. it was three days later, uh, the market actually bottomed and turned around. And uh, he's mocked every recession call that we've had over the last 14 years. <laughs> it was, and it's been a his lot. His favorite saying is, "These guys have called twenty the last two yeah, recessions." That's true. So, and uh, he's been—I mean, I tell you, there's no macro guy I would listen to other than him. He has been dead on since day one. And I'll admit, even when I've disagreed with him, he's been right. I was wrong. So he's just—he's dialed in on uh, the overall direction of the market, the macro environment. He's been right. I mean, we haven't had a recession. You could call last year a recession. What was it? Yeah. Like one month. Or, yeah. But yeah. that was. That was a self-induced recession, right? Sure. It wasn't because sure. of the business cycle or anything right. like that. So, and uh, he's of the same agreement to me that he thinks he thinks WTI has another three to five years of elevated prices. Now, I don't know if it's going to go to one fifty. I don't. I don't do price calls like that, but I do see hundred dollar oil as a realistic scenario, and I do see it staying where it is or higher for an extended period, hmm. um, barring any self-induced, you know. The government does decide to shut things down, or you know, mm. something like something like that that you really can't predict. But mm. yeah. um, I, you know, yeah. I don't see a big recession coming. I don't see a global slowdown coming, mm. which means demand's going to keep rising. So yeah, and your Davidson guy, he agrees with you on the on the macro outlook. Or maybe he's even the source of it. Uh, yeah, he agrees with me. Yeah, we've yeah. we've been lockstep on this the same way. So yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's most of his posts are free, so people want to go to the website. Oh, great! And his comments on oil are. You know, there most of his stuff is is free. The only time it's not is when it ties directly into something I'm doing with my subscribers. Then I just put it behind the paywall. But got it. Uh, his macro commentary for the last, uh, yeah, it's, it's, my God, it's been over ten years. Um, is is there for all to read? So oh, you can cool. go back and it's great stuff. It's really good stuff. Yeah, I think that's actually what what I originally found. That's how I originally found you. Uh, that's really cool. How do you decide on what is uh, what, what's free versus what is behind the paywall? Uh, if it has to do specifically with the investment that I'm making, um, I'll keep that for subscribers. You know, a lot I of see. people know the investments I'm in. I mean, word gets out over time, it's whatever. Yeah. But if I have if I have commentary about something, you know, there's there's I'll give you an example. There's there's invest there's a company or investor called Primoris Services. They're an infrastructure company. The ticker is PRIM. Uh, they're actually out of Texas too, and they do a lot of pipeline infrastructure projects. Uh, you know, I bought the stock a few years ago, it kind of languished for a while and I was considering selling, considering selling it. Um, and, and I have these conversations online because again, this is a diary, right? So yeah. I, I, I'm not gonna, what I don't want to do is go to my subscribers and say, you know, this is a great stock. We bought it, we own it. A day later, ah, sold it. And, and that's not how it works, right? And, right? and barring some awful news from the company, you know, it's not how it works. You, you get to that sell decision rather gradually, right? So, you know, about, I don't know, seven, eight months ago, I was like, you know, I'm thinking about selling this. It's kind of been a dog and 
I don't know how COVID is going to affect it. Da, 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 da. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to wait another quarter or two, see how results go. Then I'll decide what to do. That ended up stock, I think, rose like 30% in that time period that I was telling investors I was going to, I was considering selling it. But those are stuff that will always be behind the paywall that, you know, I'm considering selling this okay. is why, or if they don't accomplish A, B, and C this quarter, um, chances are I'm going to sell this. And, or, you know, if, you know, this is their new, um, this is a new um, direction the company's going. If they accomplish these things, I'm going to buy more. Mm-hmm. Um, if the price drops back up. So I, I kind of give buy and sell signals to them based on my thought process. Got it. And I like to keep that to subscribers versus play okay. on the public. That makes sense. That makes sense. And so Prim, but you're still in it, huh? The, P, the yes. Prim. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How often do you add uh, positions to the portfolio? Oh, oh geez. So I made a, I made a boatload of purchases last March. So I nice. basically bought everything I own, uh, the, the pipeline companies, a stock called IIPR, which is a cannabis REIT, the largest cannabis landlord in the US. Our subscribers bought that at 35 bucks a share. So I think it's like 240 now. Um, my favorite part of that is we're getting about a 15% dividend that are cash invested right now at the current level uh, of the dividends wow. on there. So I'm getting 15% a year in dividends on that sucker, not to mention the price appreciation. Uh, IPR, yeah, mm. yeah, that stock collapsed yeah. last March when when COVID well, it hit. Started everything, it yeah. Co- and we we yeah. I bought a lot more of it. Thank God we did. I mean, wow. we were up basically three hundred percent in that trade a year, uh, just because of the dislocation. So whenever whenever there's a flash clash or whenever there's a, a two or three day that the Dow drops a thousand and or three thousand points, I'm 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 buying my stuff, especially mm. in this environment right now. Because well, that's a typical, stuff. yeah. I think these crashes are going to be more frequent. I really do because we're all more connected. And whereas a sell-off used to take four or five days, I see more of these one-day events. Um, you know, unless there's something fundamentally wrong with the stock sale, and I'm buying more every time. So I bought a lot last March. I don't think I bought anything the rest of the year. I'm not a trader by any any stretch of the emotion, uh, any stretch of the exaggeration. I uh, I'll make a handful of trades, maybe ten trades a year, and. Okay. Typically, that's adding to positions, selling your positions. Right. New trades, you know, I operate under the, the Buffett and Margaret thing. You know, if you have 10 positions and they want to buy the 11th, it needs to be better than my other 10. Yeah. I don't want to hold 20, 30 stocks. I like to hold under 10 stocks if I can. I have held more during certain, I mean, 08, 09. I mean, I was buying everything in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of positions back then because everything was so cheap. But right now, I think right now we're down to about seven positions. And wow, that's, that's a comfortable yeah. level for me. So if I'm going to buy something else, it's because I think this is better than what I own, or it's worth using some of the money I freed up to to make to add that position. But is there anything you might be looking at to make your next purchase? Like if I mean, yeah, obviously we need to sell off. But is there anything you have on a shopping list or anything? I do think a lot of the U.S. only based cannabis stocks mm. in a couple years from now. You will be very, 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 very happy if you buy them today. Um, with my knowledge of the industry, I, I currently own and operate a cannabis company. Um, with what I'm seeing legislatively and what I'm seeing financially, most importantly, from the I mean, US, U.S.-based cannabis companies are earning money and cash flow positive. Federal legalization comes, 280E taxation goes away. They get very profitable, very cash-flowing. Overnight, I think you can see. I think, yeah. So that's where I am with that right now. 
Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Happy well, to yeah, do another show on. Another yeah, time, yeah. Let's so. let's keep that for another time. We can use yeah. this as, as, a, yeah. as a preview of it. So yeah, then you, valueplays.com. You also have a Twitter here at Todd Sullivan. Yeah. Um, it looks like you're a bit pretty big uh, Patriots fan. Was that when Flutie I was on the? Despise the Patriots. Oh, great. Okay. I'm a Bills fan. I was born in. Boston. Oh, that's who that is, Josh Allen. Okay, I thought that was that might be Todd <laughs> Flutie for some reason. Okay. I've been stuck here for. Two decades listening to those people. I'm so friggin' happy that yeah. Brady's finally gone. Yeah, yeah. No, the Bills are looking pretty good. That's uh, look yeah. at this dilemma. So I had last year dilemma. I had Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, who had beat the Bills. I don't know every every game almost for 20 years. Then I had the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, who had beaten the Bills to get there. I don't know who to vote for. I don't know who to vote for in the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was right. Luckily, it wasn't a very good game, so it wasn't there wasn't much. Yeah, it was kind of a waste. But. Yeah as many of them often are. Awesome. Yeah. Todd Sullivan, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor, Investor Podcast. Really great to have you. Looking forward to having you again. Check out his website, valueplays.com. The discounted link will be in the show notes for you. And with that, we thank you all for listening and look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.